This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on Episode 4, we hear a cautionary tale about the catastrophic effects root rots can have on growing pulse crops. Farmer Laverne Johnson shares his experiences and explains why it may be several years before he can bring pulses back into his rotation. We also hear from Dr. Lyndon Porter, who is a plant pathologist specializing in pulse crops with the USDA Agricultural Research Service in Pullman, Washington. If you're new to pulse crops, they include crops such as field peas, chickpeas, and lentils. This show follows some pulse crop farmers through the growing season and dives into the research that's helping them through some of the challenges they face. We'll also talk to a number of industry stakeholders along the way. We begin today's episode with farmer Laverne Johnson, who unfortunately is not including pulses in his rotation this year. My pulse crop this year will be soybeans for the first time ever. I'm not growing peas or lentils because of disease issues. In my mind, you know, for the first time in 20 some years, I don't really consider myself a pulse grower. Taking pulses out of the rotation was not Laverne's first choice. He was forced out, in a way, due to the overwhelming persistence of disease, specifically root rots. Wanting to switch things up and build healthier soils, Laverne was one of the first in his area to start planting pulses back in the 1990s. I think soil erosion and seeing that I I needed to do something overall different with the farm and wanted to do more continuous cropping. And the area I'm at is heavily infested with sawfly. So continuous Durham was not going to work. Just even having Durham every other year was an issue. So the desire to to do more continuous cropping and no-till kind of forced me into looking at a different crop type. And pulses seemed to be, at the time, something worth considering. So that's kind of what started me on that path. That path led him to over 20 years of including pulses in his rotation. Over that long period of time, diseases like Fusarium and Aphanomyces started to build up. At the time, research um, was saying that peas and lentils, even though both pulse crops were affected by different diseases. So my rotation typically was Durham lentils, Durham peas. So two out of the four years I had Durham and two out of the four years I had a pea and a lentil, which at the time we were thinking, okay, it's, you know, lentils once out of four years and peas once out of four years. And as time went on and just probably in the last few years, you know, we're finding how similar peas and lentils were, you know, as far as disease issues. So I had a pretty tight rotation. And most years I've been growing safflower. So that extended the rotation out on a a smaller portion of the farm. Mustard was occasionally in there, flax, but the bulk of the farm was a, a Durham lentil, Durham pea rotation. Knowing what he knows now about the disease issues, Laverne says he would do things different if he could go back. But today, the disease issues are so bad, he thinks he will need to wait perhaps eight years before trying pulses again. I asked if there was some sort of soil test that he could track the disease persistence to make sure it's trending lower and maybe even reaching a threshold sooner that would allow him to go back to pulses. I guess I don't know the answer to that for sure. One of the plant pathologists could answer that better. But to my knowledge, I don't believe there is. 
the testing they've done is by taking root samples and determining the severity of disease on the roots and trying to determine what disease. And even that's been a challenge because of the multiple diseases out here. You know, the thought process is that fusarium might be the one that starts weakening the plant, and it might be a phantomyces that finishes the life of that plant. But how that all plays out, I think they're still trying to determine. To my knowledge, there's no soil test that they can use to determine the, the level of disease that's out there. Unfortunate, that would be a really great thing to have, and I'm not sure if they're working on that or not. This idea of a sort of root rot complex where diseases like Fusarium and Aphanomyces feed off each other will come up in the second half of this episode when we talk to Dr. Lyndon Porter. But before we get into that, as sort of a cautionary tale to others, I I wanted Laverne to walk us through what he observed when he started to realize that he had a problem. I would say, obviously, in the last two years, it was not even a a question. I mean, it was such a stark contrast that it was obvious, but it probably started at least four, if not five years ago, where it would be areas in the field that typically held moisture a little longer than the others, a side hill with a little bit of a, a swale to it, or often it started in yellowing of the plant in a a low area wasn't necessarily drowned out, but it would start yellowing and it would actually move up the hill through a valley. And I would say that is probably about five years ago when used to be you'd look at it and say, well, it was just too wet for too long. And the pulse crops, you know, the term is they don't like wet feet. But I started questioning it more and having researchers from Extension come and look at it. And that's probably when the sampling of the plants started to take place. So in the in the last four or five years, it's been pretty consistent where uh, extension from NDSU plant pathologists have been coming out and taking root samples throughout the years and trying to determine what disease is present. And they've been finding it's multiple <laughs> Fusarium, aphanomyces. It used to be Ascochyta, which is a foliar disease, was the one we were worried about. And that's actually shifted to be more of a concern with root disease. Laverne's story is one that emphasizes the need for research into these diseases. I hope you got a chance to catch our last episode with Dr. Michael Vunch, where we discussed the work he's been doing uh, on some of those diseases, and we're fortunate to have a guest here today to talk more about one of the major problems Laverne is facing, fusarium. Dr. Lyndon Porter is a research plant pathologist with the USDA Agricultural Research Service in Pullman, Washington. He's been at the agency for about 15 years now, where he specializes in root rots and viruses in pulses. He holds a PhD from Washington State University. I asked Dr. Porter to start off with here just to provide some insight into what options farmers like Laverne have available to them to control fusarium. As far as pulses are concerned, if we're looking at fusarium, to how to manage fusarium, we don't have any seed treatments. There's two different phases. There's a seed phase where it rots the, it rots the seed or it rots the, the developing seedling and the below ground root system. 
And so we have, for Fusarium root rot, we have seed treatments that are contact fungicides that are standard, uh, Maxim and Captan, that prevent Fusarium seed rot. And then after that, there can also be some infection by Fusarium right around the seed attachment area. And we don't have anything that works well to prevent that type of infection. So it kind of needs to be some sort of systemic action where you have a systemic product that you treat the seed with that it then can protect that area. We don't have that. There is a product coming out soon from Syngenta. I've been working with them and have tested it. It's an excellent product. It's not out yet, and I'm not even sure what what it'll be called, but that's on the horizon, which is good news. That is very good news. In the meantime, though, what can farmers do to protect themselves from the risks of fusarium getting out of control? Dr. Porter says there are some cultural practices that can help. Uh, The severity of fusarium is increased by soil compaction. One, it, uh, it impacts just the ability of the root system to grow as freely as it needs to. Sometimes the root system can try to outgrow uh, fusarium, and the greater tilth or the, the less compaction that's there to the soil facilitates the growth of the root system. Some of the other things that impact it are uh, soil pH uh, can impact uh, fusarium root rot. If you have soil pHs below 5.1 or above 7.5, the plant tends to be more susceptible to fusarium root rot. Uh, a lot of that is because those pHs tend to stress a pea plant. When the plant's under stress, it, then it's more susceptible to fusarium root rot. Now, obviously, no grower wants to compact their soil, and minimizing soil compaction can be easier said than done. So I asked Dr. Porter for some suggestions on maybe how some farmers might do this more effectively in practice. One is just the, the planting. Planting when the soil isn't too wet, and there's a a good line there. And then also, a lot of our pulse growers, depending on what they're doing, they'll do what's called rolling. The purpose of that is to smooth out the top of the soil for harvesting purposes and to push rocks down in the ground so that when they come through with the harvester, they've got a level table to be able to harvest things in an easier fashion. And sometimes the pulses will collapse or fall down, and they really need that smooth surface in order to be able to harvest their crop. And paying attention to when they're rolling as well to avoid extreme wet soil conditions. Now, a lot of these, they're going to have to do it anyways because of the timeline that they have to to get things done. And they just need to realize that there's going to be greater problems because they've caused higher compaction issues on their land and they just need to recognize that. Or if they do have control, they can try to to roll other areas where the rainfall hasn't been as bad and then come back to others to to try to let their fields dry out uh, to a, a greater degree. So these are all things that really good growers can try to pay attention to to try to maximize their yields. In addition to minimizing soil compaction and monitoring the pH levels, Dr. Porter says there are a number of other factors that can help to lower susceptibility. Some examples of this are proper soil fertility, water management, and also variety selection. Individual cultural practices such as their soil fertility, their, their water, if they control water, if they, if they control irrigation, or if they're just subject to, to rainfall, uh, planting depth. 
the varieties that they plant. If they have control over the variety that they can plant, then they've done their research and they recognize the diseases that are major problems for them at their location. And then I've done different screening of the different varieties that growers use and have determined the resistance of those different varieties to particular pathogens. And so if they know they have those pathogens in their area and they're a major issue and they can control what variety they can select to grow, then they want to have done some good homework and recognize I've got problems, severe problems with fusarium root rot caused by this particular fusarium species. And there's research that they could see, oh, I, want, I, I may want to use this particular variety, which is more resistant to it than, than these others. Before we move on from that soil fertility point, I wondered which nutrient deficiencies Dr. Porter was seeing. In our areas here in, um, in, in Washington and Oregon, our pulse growing areas, what we find is that uh, there are deficiencies in zinc, boron, and sulfur, for example. And growers can pay attention to this and try to, to manage soil fertility to maximize their yields and also just the overall health of the plant. Uh, that's, that's what I mean by paying attention to that. And we've had increased yields because growers have been paying attention to where they're deficient in these different areas uh, in particular. Another issue Dr. Porter is running into that can lead to root rot susceptibility is herbicide carryover. There's other, other different things that can impact root health, which impacts uh, fusarium root rot. Uh, one thing is we've, we've run into a lot of issues with herbicide carryover. And a lot of growers, um, uh, depending on the environment and how fast these different uh, herbicides break down, we have run into uh, emergence issues and just these residual herbicides in the soil that, that impact the overall health of the plant. They can uh, inhibit root growth. They can slow down emergence. And all of these things uh, impact health with regards to, to root rots. And so uh, just growers paying attention to environmental conditions that, that favor the breakdown of different herbicides, the wetter conditions and cooler conditions versus drier conditions and warmer conditions uh, where you don't get the biological activity in the soil to really break down uh, the herbicides. Sometimes they got to pay attention to cold and dry conditions where these herbicides on, on plant back schedules aren't breaking down as fast as they should from year to year, depending on the environmental conditions and something that they need to pay attention to, a particularly herbicides that really have a shorter window for that breakdown to take place. And so I've seen a lot of herbicide damage that is causing poor plant vigor, impacting yields and stressing plants out, which causes greater root rot issues. He suggests taking a look at your varieties and evaluating if some may be more susceptible to certain herbicides than others. That may factor into your decision of which varieties or which herbicides to use. I was curious, though, in what conditions are these herbicides carrying over? We can see it happen at different levels within the soil. And the, the herbicides can hang out at different locations in the soil where they've broken down more or less in that soil profile. And we can see, based on the planting depth of the planter, even side by side, one of the planters is planting a little deeper than the one next to it. And we can see that it either put it into that herbicide zone and it caused emergence problems 
or by planting it planted a little bit deeper or a little bit shallower, that it, it was not in that herbicide zone. And so they're differentially impacted um, early on and it impacts their yield. And so even side by side, you, you can look at your different planting rows and you can see different levels of herbicide damage depending on, on that planting depth of the seed. And so that's, that's something that growers can pay attention to or, or even look to try to notice if they think there's herbicide issues. So we've covered a lot here about what conditions can lead to fusarium problems and what control measures are available. Reflecting back, though, to farmer Laverne Johnson at the top of the show, fusarium wasn't his only problem. It was the way multiple diseases were interacting that made matters even worse. Dr. Porter has observed this phenomenon and adds that nematodes can also be problematic. Yeah, just uh, that there's, there's a root rot complex and kind of all of these feed off each other. And so you just don't have fusarium or you just don't have pythium. You can, you can have pythium, rhizoctonia, and fusarium kind of all interacting together. I mean, that, that can all happen at once. There's nematode pressures in our soils that also can, can impact fusarium uh, root rot by causing wounding and an entry point for the pathogen. And so there's root lesion nematodes and, and there's other nematodes that can cause that type of feeding damage that uh, can cause, one, just stress, stress the plant out, which makes it more susceptible, but also cause uh, wounding sites to where the pathogen can get in. Dr. Porter has years of research in pulses. And like all good researchers, one thing that continues to drive him is what we don't yet know. I asked what area he's hoping to see advance more in the future when it comes to pulses. His answer? Seed health. I think one of the most important areas is just seed health. When a grower plants a seed, he can only maximize his yield according to the beginning health of that seed. And there's lots of research that I think that needs to be done to try to bring to the grower the healthiest seed that he can plant. When you're just growing your crop just to produce the seed that is going to be planted for the next year, there's lots of research that needs to be done to understand how do I maximize the vigor of that seed that I'm going to plant. And from fertility aspect, what improves or maximizes uh, and, and the application of different micronutrients or macronutrients at different developmental stages, uh, particularly around pod formation, what do I do to maximize the health of that seed that I'm going to plant that gives it its maximum vigor? And that's one way that we can really provide the best seed possible to growers so they're starting with the best that they can to maximize their yields. And I think that that's a big area that we really haven't really explored. I want to thank Dr. Lyndon Porter for sharing all of his research and insights with us for the show. also want to thank Laverne Johnson for sharing some takeaways from over 20 years of growing pulses on his farm. We have a lot more great information coming your way through the 2020 growing season. Please make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and tell a friend who might also be interested in pulses. You can find all the information from previous episodes at www.growingpulsecrops.com. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the North Central IPM Center. We're releasing two of these every month throughout the growing season, so we look forward to bringing you the next episode very soon.